Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Um, one thing, one thing that um, if you take the class, the, the the next class, Corinthian letters, one thing you'll find is when when Paul took an offering, he took it for a specific reason. It was never for himself. And you find in Second Corinthians, he built in all kinds of safeguards to ensure the integrity of the offering, so that he would be above question when it came to. Did the money I give you actually go to the people in Jerusalem, or did you skim a little bit off of the top? And he went to great pains to ensure that what he said he did with the money was actually done with the money. And and what you see today in a lot of these guys is is when it comes to um, accountability, they run. They run from it. Can you shut the door, Don? They, they run from accountability. When... They just they don't want to be accountable to anybody. They want to do their own thing. They want they don't want you to look at their books. They don't want you to know what they make. Um, it's not up to you to question it. Um, and that's not that's not a man of God. That's not a man of God. Um, anyways, let's get into Cornelius here. We'll probably we'll probably hit this topic again as we work through Acts. Um, Cornelius. So there was a certain man in Cornelius in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Okay, what, what's, what's, what do you know about Cornelius from this statement? He was an honest guy. He was, he was a Roman soldier from the Italian regiment. So he was one of the premier regiments. He was generous. He feared God. He wasn't a Jew. He feared God. And and the, the, this word God fear pops up a couple of other times in the New Testament. A God fear was basically a Gentile who was not a total convert to Judaism, but they certainly found a lot of... Um, they found a lot in Judaism to which they would ascribe the moral code, uh, you know, the, some, of, some of the stuff that you find in, in, in Judaism, and they would be called God-fearers. They would not technically be Jews, all right, but they certainly um, followed the moral teachings of Judaism, all right, and they believed in God, all right. Now, it says he prayed to God. What does it mean he prayed to God? Was he a believer when he prayed to God? No, no and any more than the unredeemed Jew, Jew was um, saved when they prayed to God. But what it, what you have there is what it's saying. There's a framework to his to to his um, belief. All right, he was not yet a believer, but he certainly feared God. He was sincere in wanting to follow God. He was sincere in wanting to know God. All right. And uh, what happened? Well, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, 
And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? He said, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. What, is it, what do you think it means there, your prayers and alms? Did this guy buy his way into this? Sounds like it. No, it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Did he, did guy is this him buying his way into God's favor? Yeah. God took notice of someone who was sincerely wanting to do the right thing. All right. And I think what you have here, one of the things you see here, is what was the heart attitude? See, Paul, what made Paul different than the average Pharisee? Paul sincerely desired to do the right thing. What made Cornelius different than the average centurion? He sincerely wanted to do the right thing. All right. Um, all he needed technically was to be told what the right thing was. All right. But he was already on that path. It's not that he bought his way into God's favor. All right. But, and here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Sometimes in the scripture, it says something about God remembered. Remember? Like Joseph was in prison and God remembered him. I think that's maybe one of the. Now, does that mean the guy was saying, I forgot all about that guy down there. Man, I, I forgot. You know, Gabriel, you missed it in the day planner. I forgot about Joseph. Oh, got to do something. No, that's not what happened, right? That's not the point. When it says God remembered, it doesn't mean that God had forgotten and now he remembers. Rather, it means it is time for God to do something. The time has come for some action to be taken. And that's the way it is, Cornelius. God is not saying, um, here it says, your prayers have come up for a memorial, and finally God took notice. No, now's the time that God's going to answer your prayer. All right? Do you see the difference there? God doesn't forget anything. But when God remembers his people, it's not that God had forgotten and now he remembers. It's not, it means that he is now going to do something in their behalf. And now he's going to move in Cornelius's behalf. And he said, I want you to send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And you say, now, now, wait a minute. Why can't the angel just give him the gospel, right? I never thought that. Never thought that. <clears throat> well, it did mine. <laughs> I, I understand, you know, but, but, you know, it's a valid question to ask. Well, why didn't the angel just tell him the gospel? I mean, that's all he needed to know, right? Yeah, but it's not their role. But how, yeah, it's not their role. Who is God ordained to be the disseminators of the gospel? Men. Men. Men we are to do that, not angels. All right. And he said, I want you to go down, I want you to get Peter. Go down to Joppa and get Peter. He's lodging with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So he gave him directions to go down and get this guy. And uh, when the angels spoke to him, departed, Cornelius called two of the household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius 
is going to send away for Simon Peter. All right. And what, here's the interesting thing. This is the second time. This is actually the third time. Let's stop and think about this. I never thought about this before. That's what I love about teaching. You know, I don't come up with nine members of the Trinity, but I learn new things as I go along. Yeah. What you see, what do you see in the case of these, the, um, the Ethiopian eunuch? God is bringing the two parties together, right? Here's the Ethiopian eunuch who's searching. God brings a preacher to give him the message. Could God have just given the Ethiopian eunuch the answer? Sure, but that's not how it works. That's not how God has ordained the gospel to be done. And then what do you see in the next chapter with with Ananias and and Paul or Saul? Well, the Lord Jesus shows up to Saul and the Lord Jesus could have given him the gospel and solved it all right there and didn't have to even bring Ananias into the loop. But why did he do that? Because God has ordained that how is the gospel message and how is it presented and it's presented by human agency. All right. And now you have the same thing happening here. You have Cornelius, a devout guy, but the angel doesn't give him the answer. What does God do? God is bringing together the seeker and the messenger. And do you ever stop and think that's what God does in every salvation event? God brings the sinner in contact with the gospel presenter. He brings them together. Here you see God orchestrating it supernaturally, but God does the same thing any time today where he brings the gospel presenter to the sinner. Yeah. Some of us know that very well, how it happened. You know, and it was a divine appointment. And so what does God do? God tells Cornelius via the angel to go down and bring in Simon. Now, God has another bigger picture item going on here, too, we're going to look at. All right. But he wants to bring Simon in to Simon Peter to present the gospel to Cornelius. So the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, came hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell in a trance while dinner was cooking. He fell into a trance and saw heaven open an object like a great sheet bound at four corners, descended to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Isn't it amazing that the only people that said no, Lord, are the believers? <laughs> Right? The believers. God shows up to Cornelius. Cornelius says, what do you want me to do? Okay. God shows up to Paul. What do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it. God shows up to Peter. What do you want me to do? Kill and eat. No way. I'm not going to do that. I've never done eating anything unclean in my life. Why didn't he eat anything unclean? Well, he was a Jew, right? 
Now, now the, the question is, if God tells you to do something, what can you assume? You would assume that it would be right. the right thing. It's the right thing to do, all right? That's a, but what did Peter have? What do you have a deep streak of? He had, he had to get over it. He had to get over it. Well, I think this was here for a reason, too. Yes. There's multiple reasons going on here. One is Peter had to get over his Jewish snobbery. So he was prejudiced. Pardon? He was prejudiced. He was prejudiced. Prejudiced, yeah, yeah, prejudiced. Oh, you bet he was. Peter was as prejudiced as the day was long. Yes, sir, he was. You know, and the problem is he got sort of, he's got sort of maybe a little bit put off by the whole notion of the Samaritans being in. But, you know, at least, you know, they had some Jewish lineage in them. Here's a guy that's a pure pagan that he's going to be told to go preach to. And in, in Galatians, what happened there, well, even after the fact, I mean, this is this is during, you know, this is many years later. Um, Peter was with a bunch of believers. And as soon as the Jews from Jerusalem showed up, he separated from the Gentiles. And, and Paul goes after him saying, wait a minute, what are you doing? It's okay for you to hang around the Gentile when the Jews aren't here, but as soon as they come, you gotta you got to make yourself look good. You're not being a person of integrity. He chewed the guy out, and Peter needed to be chewed out mm -hmm. for that. It's starting to break the lifetime habit. It's a lifetime habit. And sometimes God has to take drastic measures to shatter it. And what God is trying to get here is what's, what's the big picture he's trying to do to Peter? He's trying to crack him out of this Judaistic, legalistic mindset. Peter, it's different now. It's different. And he had to crack him out of that. And that was a tough thing to do. Peter said, no. I've never eaten anything. So what do you assume about all the animals in the sheet? All of them were unclean. All right. It's not like... You know, there was a clean one in there. Said, oh, "Okay, I can eat the cow and leave the rest." You know, no, all of them were unclean. And the voice. Why is, why is God speaking to him in riddles? Why wasn't he more direct? Why did Why did we have to go through that step? Why says, "Hey, I'm going to send you to a Gentile, mm -hmm. and you you say the message to him." Why did he pull, show him a sheep? Why Why impliedly rather than directly? Because it says in the next verse. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. But it's still a riddle. It's still, it's still a, riddle. a riddle. It's still a riddle. But you know what? Sometimes those are the things that make the greatest impact on us, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I think he's breaking his thing with food would, would eventually break his attitude when it came to yeah, grace. Um, yeah. I mean, the Jews were told you're not allowed to eat anything unclean, and you dare not eat with a Gentile. I, we had a guy at, 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 at Moen that was a Orthodox Jew. And uh, we were going to have a get-together, and I invited him over. He wouldn't come because he dared not come into my house and eat anything because it might, it, cause the knife that cut it may have previously touched a piece of pork, which would make it unclean, which would make the food unclean, which would make him unclean, and he'd have all kinds of problems with God because he'd lose some points. Did you tell him pack his lunch and come on? You know, that, that's... They, that's they wouldn't eat him. Yeah. He wouldn't eat in his house anymore. Yeah. They will invite you to their house to eat. 
They will not eat in your house because because they cannot guarantee that the food you present to them is clean. You know, they can't guarantee that. No. And I and I asked the guy, I looked at him, I said, you're telling me that God's up in heaven keeping score on all this? He said, yep. Yep. That's that's his that's his belief. And, and Peter. The things that differentiated Judaism from or Jews from Gentiles was their diet, right? right. Big thing was the pork issue. Yeah. I mean, that was really big. And the other thing was they they just wanted to stay away. From, they wouldn't even go into a Gentile's house. Some of the rabbis taught if you went in the Gentile's house, you were unclean. Just going into the house made you unclean. Remember and remember when Christ was being. Um, uh, uh, I think when he was being tried, that the high priest and that dared not go in to the house of Pilate, else they would become unclean and they wouldn't be able to celebrate the Passover. I mean, you, you talk about snooty. They were snooty to the point of ridiculousness. But God didn't break Peter completely. He, he began. This instance, but Peter still held he on began to, to crack. Yeah. Okay, he was still hung on to certainty. He was. But he began to crack through the the snootiness that Peter had, the the the, the national identity. He started cracking through it because what did he had given Peter the keys of the kingdom, and Peter was present at Pentecost. He was present at Samaria, and now he's going to be present when the Gentiles get in on this deal. All right, and God's trying to crack him from this anti-Gentile mindset by basically saying what I have said is clean is clean. So how much time passed from this incident until the Jerusalem Council? Um, yeah, about 14 years, somewhere around so in there. Yeah, he... It took a while to pull him out of his hands. Well, I think it's one of those things where you've been taught that all your life and, yeah, then, right. and you get out of it and then all at once something happens that Throws you right back into the yeah. mindset again. It, it, where, would, where would Paul have been in all of this, as far as food goes? Well, Paul broke out of it pretty quickly. Paul seemed to have broken out of his whole this this whole legalistic thing. He broke out of it pretty quick, a lot quicker than Peter did. But then Paul was ordained as a as the apostle to the Gentiles, and you got to admit that according to Galatians, Paul was taught personally by Christ for about three years. I mean, he, he, Paul, Paul was, Peter was really your, I mean, he was really deep into this. And that was their culture. That was their culture. That's just the way they thought. And he's the first one thrown in, too. Yeah. Now, Cornelius wasn't a Jew, right? No, he was a Gentile. So why is Peter being a Jew? I thought Paul's supposed to be being a Gentile. Paul's ministry has not yet been inaugurated. That's going to come 14 years later. Oh. Plus the fact that in the, that Peter is the one who, who, God had ordained to be the, the, I want to put it, the one who opened the door, so to speak, to each of the national groups. He was there when Pentecost, that's the Jew. He was there when Samaria, and now he's going to be the uttermost part of the earth with the Gentiles. All right. And he's trying to show, and, and here's the other big thing here. God is trying to show the unity of the church. In the Old Testament, you had two groups of people. Jew, non-Jew. In the church, you have no national identity. You're saved or you're lost. 
You're in or you're out. National identity is irrelevant. Okay? Gender is irrelevant. Um, your social standing is irrelevant. Remember it says in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. That does not mean that those social distinctives are erased in society. But it does mean that within the church, God is no respecter of persons. There's a difference. I read a book about, it's called The Life of Christ, and it had to talk about how, why was Jesus born, you know, and just did all the research of that little background. And they said the Jewish uh, race is the most prideful, uh, that they had this attitude that they didn't need no one, that they were supreme, that they always had that mindset, and God had a, Constantly break that. Yes. Because where they lived, they had everything. Yeah. Um, they had the best of everything. And they always had, and even the countries around them, they always treated themselves like a supreme race, better what, than what would God you? God did it. Yeah, not, that yeah. But here's, here's a question. Yeah. What, what if you yeah, ran into a Christian? Book that yeah. Mindset. That, that was a tough mindset. Cause, political. Uh, uh, what was going on with Jesus' birth, the political situation was very, very hostile. It's very difficult. Yeah. Very, it's like going, it's like American, well, I can't say that. Like the Middle East, how hostile it is now, mm -hmm. and God doing something in the middle of all that. Yeah. And everyone not liking it. What would you, what would you think if you, if you talk to a Christian and you find somebody, and you struck up a kind of, find out they were a Christian, and you ask them, you know, well, you know, do you witness to people? No, I don't witness to people. Well, why not? Well, I don't want any of them getting into heaven because I want it to myself. I don't want God to love them. I want to see God destroy them. In fact, I want to be there when they're roasting in hell and enjoy the, 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 the view of that. What would you think of that person? They have some problems. That was the Jew. That was the Jew. Their idea was God has chosen us and the rest of the world is fuel for the fires of hell. And they had no inclination to ever share the gospel with anyone who was not a Jew. And that's not what God had originally ordained. God had ordained them to be the light to the Gentiles. Instead, they said, we don't want any Gentiles in on this. And who's the primary example of that in the Old Testament? Jonah. Jonah said there isn't any way I'm going to go up to Nineveh and preach to them because it just might be that they would repent and now I've got a bunch of Gentiles in on this deal and I can't handle that. I would rather see God destroy a city of, of two million people than the idea that they would somehow get in on this thing. It was. But that was the Jewish mindset and that's what God's got to crack here with Peter. He's got to begin to crack this mindset that it's only for Jews. And so what God does, he sets up Cornelius, go get Peter. And now he's setting up Peter to prepare for Cornelius. And God was saying here, don't 
you dare call something I've said clean common. Now, as Peter was trying to figure out what this meant in verse 17, he didn't know what this meant. He's trying to figure it out. The two men, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So now God is saying, go with these guys. And what's Peter doing while, the, while this is going on? He's mulling over in his head this whole vision of the sheep. What's, what is this? And what's God doing with Peter? God's working on him to try and get him to see beyond his own little world. Yeah, and, and by the way, what Peter have normally done, gone with three Gentiles. No, so. no way. Uh-uh. No way would I go with those Gentiles. Much less go to their house. Oh, for heaven's sake, I would never do that. It was just not part of his thinking. Yes, I'm him, him you seek, verse 21. Why have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, it was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Can you imagine that? Uh, we were sent by Cornelius, who had a visit from an angel who said to come and get you and bring you there. Now, now Peter normally said, you know, hit the road, guys. Forget it. But what had God just done? Don't you dare call something common that I've called clean. And God is basically saying, you go with them. And Peter did not say at this point, not so, Lord, did he? He, he went. The following day, they entered Caesarea, verse 24. Cornelius waiting for them and called them together, his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, for I am self, myself am also a man. Why would Cornelius fall down and worship him? This is the guy that the angel sent. Now, what does it mean to worship here? Honor, just gave honor to him. Yeah. It's not the idea that he was praying to Peter or anything like that. That's not what's going on here, okay? But that he 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 was he, this was God's man. This was a man of God. And and by the way, just so you understand, for a centurion to bow down to a Jew, well, that just didn't happen. That just didn't happen. Who was a centurion? Well, he was a commander of an army group, an army regiment. He was a leader of a thousand men, not a hundred men, excuse me, okay. about a hundred men. Uh, he was a very prominent official. He, in, in those days, you got to understand those days, the whole society was built around um, honor, okay? Um, it was an honor-shame society. You dared not do anything that would bring shame or dishonor to you. You just didn't do that. All right. And and that's why, you know, for example, for for a Jew to 
to go to a Gentile, that would bring shame on my family. I would never do that. They were very prideful. They were very arrogant. They were proud. The whole society was built around this shame mentality. All right. And for and, and that was not only true of Jews, it was also true of Romans. All right. And for a Roman to fall down and 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 bow the knee to a Jew was you just didn't do that. You, you just didn't do that. This was a major step of humiliation for him to take. A major step. It's sort of like Naaman. Remember poor old Naaman? He comes down to get, you know, it has all entourage there, and he comes down to the man of God and says, uh, you know, um, I was told you can heal my leprosy. And what did Elijah, I think it was Elijah, what did he do? He sent Gehazi out. Go tell the guy to go dip down in the Jordan seven times. And of course, Naaman goes away. He's ticked. He's mad. Why? That weasel didn't even come out and talk to me. He sent his servant. Now, that he was not, as a commander of an army group, he was not used to being treated like that, right? When he showed up, you paid attention. For you to send your servant out meant, you know, I'm busy. Don't bother me. Go tell him something. But what was God doing with Naaman? He was cracking his pride. And remember what happened on the way back? Well, we got Abaddon and far, far. We got better rivers in Jordan. That's a muddy hole down. I want to go down there and dip. And the servant basically said, you know what? If he had told you to do something great, what would you have done? This is pretty simple. I mean, what's it going to hurt you to at least try it? And he did. When he came up the sixth time, what did he look like? Leprosy. When he came up the seventh time, like a baby skin. See, God hates pride. Since this Cornelius, when he, for him to bow down before Peter was was unheard of. It, 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 it was it would have brought immediate reproach, if not a, a reprimand from his superiors, to dare do that. It's humbling both sides. And you know what? Sometimes that's exactly what God's got to do, right? We're proud, arrogant people, and sometimes God has got to crack us of that. And he certainly had to do that with Peter. And Cornelius had already been prepared. This is the man of God. And Peter said, stand up. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go out to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He figured it out. Right? God, he said, you know, it's unlawful for me, according to my law, to even be here with you guys. To talk to you is, I'm not supposed to do that. But you know what? God told me, I'm not supposed to call anything uncommon or unclean. He got it. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? See, God had to do a work in Peter's heart to crack that Jewish snobbery. And luckily it worked. 
So Cana said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Remember, it doesn't mean that God remembered as he forgot, but it's time for action. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here. His surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Okay. Give us the message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just validating what the angel told Cornelius. Peter was told, so Peter validated to Cornelius what the angel had told him it was almost verbatim yeah said. yeah peter just said why have you sent for me and yeah and the centurion said well this is what was going on mm -hmm. and why i sent for you mm -hmm. all right and all that did was be further validation for peter that god was bringing them together right. and cornelius said okay god told me to have you come here and tell me what you need to tell me. Now, tell me. <laughs> All right? Tell me. And this goes back to, you know, God bringing together two parties. And, and I, I think I've used this before. I remember the story, and I don't know where it was. I would like to find out where it came from, but it's a true story about a missionary who was in the jungles of Africa or South, uh, South America or something. And one day he had a strange urge to just go off in the jungle in some direction, didn't know why. And he just couldn't get shake it from out of his mind. And so he finally got his machete and took off through the jungle and uh, didn't know why he was going or where he was going. And towards the evening, he came upon this hut out in the middle of nowhere. And as he came upon the hut, there was a man laying in there who was dying. And the man said, if you're the one to come to tell me about God. And what happened is the man's dying. And he wanted to know about God, and God sent somebody supernaturally to go tell him. That's that's called you know preparing the way, you know greasing the skids, and that's what God's doing here. God's preparing the way, and here Peter comes, and it's an open invitation. So what does Peter do? He says, "In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality." That is a major, major revelation to him. Because he was taught his entire life that God certainly is partial. God has chosen the Jews for heaven and the Gentiles for hell. This was a major change in his thinking. Brought on by the vision of the sheet. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. In every nation, it's every people. It's irrelevant what your nationality is. If you believe... Fear God and work righteous. You're accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of John preached. And then he goes on and gives him the message. I'm not going to read the passage there, but he basically gives him the gospel. Now, this is not all that Peter probably told him. All right. This is probably, a, you know, sort of a condensed version 
But what did Peter give him? He began with Christ, the ministry of Christ. Would this centurion be a, have been aware of that? Yeah. Sure. sure he would have. Okay. Yeah, he was living in the area. He would have heard about it. He certainly would have heard about Jesus Christ. You know, it was not that long after Christ's crucifixion. He was, he was praying. He was down there. So that's why I want to ask about the prayer. Is he a sinner? Is he saved? Or is he Cornelius considered a sinner at this point, right? Yeah. So when they say God don't hear a sinner's prayer, what what this right here is, is something I can use to tell him. No, yes, he does. God is under. Here's here's. That's a good question. The answer to that is God is under no obligation to hear the prayer of a sinner. No, wait. Forget the elect piece. God is under no obligation to hear the prayer of the sinner. Would God maybe hear the prayer of a sinner? He can do as he, he does what he wants, right? He does not have to answer. God is under no obligation. You know, if a sinner is saying, Lord, help me out of this jam, God is under no obligation to help. God may do it out of his own sovereign choice. Yeah. But in the case of Cornelius, what you see here is Cornelius was sincerely seeking God. All right. He had the right God, the God of Israel, right? And he had backed it up with an attempt on his part to do good deeds. It wasn't just a head knowledge. It was actually something. He was, he was honestly, sincerely wanting to know God. And so what did God do? God made, it, made a, a point to bring a preacher around. To, now, that's from the human perspective, right? From the divine perspective, Cornelius was elect from eternity past. Yeah. But just because Cornelius was an elect doesn't mean Cornelius wakes up in heaven and wonders how he got there. No, there needed to be the proclamation of the gospel. And that's what God ordained and brought Peter into that. Okay? And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Wow. Now that would sort of freak out the Jews, right? Not only did Peter go, but Peter took some Jews with him. Why would that be important? Yeah, Peter comes back, and they just think he had some, you know, got drunk or something like that. But now you've got some witnesses. And while Peter is preaching the gospel, what, does, what happens to Cornelius and some of these other people? They believe. And immediately when they believe, what happens? And gave them the same sign that he gave the Samaritans and that he gave the Jews on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. So what does that tell all of these Jews? Same experience, same manifestation. There's no difference. There's no partiality. If anything, it's just cementing what Peter had said. I perceive there's no partiality with God. It's just cementing that in. And they were baptized. Yeah. 
and and, and you see the, the 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 significance of tongues here. All right, is to validate to Peter the sameness of their salvation. All right, had tongues only fallen on the Jews, there would have still been this arrogant pride that, well, you know, we're we're a, we're of a better better genre of believer than the Samaritans are. And the Gentiles, okay, they sneak in the back door, but you know, they're they're down on the lower bunk here. They're 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 not where we are. They're not with us. We are still and God's saying, nope, none of that in my church. And that goes back to what you know Paul is saying, in the church there is neither male nor female Bond or free, Jew or Gentile. All right, and and I'll stop and think about it. When you when you when you run into somebody that you've never seen before, how do you determine what they are and what what? How does this conversation usually go? For a man, how does it go? What do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? Right, because that'll tell you something about that person. All right. What do you do for a living? Because what are we trying to establish? No, not conversation. Yeah, where's the hierarchy? in the hierarchy? You know, you know, how do I relate to them? And it's a man thing. It's a man thing. Women, it's how many kids you got, how many grandkids, or whatever. Yeah, with a man, it, it falls down to what you do for a living. You know, what is your, and, and that, that was the way society is structured usually, right? You look at people and you, you sort of determine a, a relate, an initial relationship with them based on either their gender or their race or what they do for a living. And what is God saying exists in the church? It's none of those. God doesn't care whether you're a man or a woman in the church. That's roles. When it comes to roles, there certainly are differentiation. But when it comes to inclusion, there is not. God doesn't care whether you're a Greek or a Jew or a Roman or a Hindu or whatever you are. He doesn't care what your nationality is. And he certainly doesn't care what you do for a living. None of that's relevant to God. And Peter is getting a drill into his brain that in the church... In this new organization, national distinctives are out. There's no national distinctives. And that was a biggie to the Jew. That was a biggie to them. We, we cannot even comprehend the, 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 the difficulty that he had doing that. Because we don't relate to that. We just don't relate to it. And Peter answered and said, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized or receive the Holy Spirit just as what? He's getting it. They got the same Holy Spirit. They're no different than we are. And the command them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few more days. 
So he stays there and preaches to them and teaches them. Now in verse 11, chapter 11, it's time for the accounting. All right. Now the deacon board brings him in and starts asking him some questions. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision continued with him saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Who's the circumcision? Jews. And when Peter shows up, what's the first thing they do? Why in the world did you go and eat with Gentiles? Now, what? who were they? These were the what? Apostles and brethren. Oh, well, who were the apostles? Oh, you got John, you got James, you got... I mean, what did they have in them? They had a deep streak of this yeah. national pride, didn't they? And so the first thing that happens is Peter's called in and saying, okay, Peter, what's going on here? Why'd you go in? And Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning. And he basically gives them this, this account. He said, look, guys, don't blame me. You know, I was in Joppa minding my own business, and I got God telling me to go talk to this guy. It's not my fault. Blame God. And I go and I preach the gospel to them, and guess what? They got the same Holy Spirit. That wasn't my fault, guys. <laughs> I didn't call down the Spirit. Don't blame me. Then it says here, Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Spirit fell upon them as upon us from the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Guys, don't blame me. It's not my fault. Take it up with God. And, uh, you know, he gives an accounting of himself. But, you know, you guys say, well, what's wrong with these disciples? You know, those snooty. Look, folks, listen. They were steeped in that. We like Christianity over our culture. And we do. Christians say, well, it's okay if I divorce, or it's okay if I watch television and watch all this stuff. And we just accept our culture and we have Christianity over yeah. it about this deep. Yep. And whatever our culture is, it's time to become Christians, I think. We still hold on to that stuff. It's all that's matter of it. Yeah. We believers sometimes think we're better than people that are unbelievers. Yeah. We do, don't we? Yes, they do, but that's true. I mean, we do. Yeah, when you look at these guys on talk show, when you look at Rosie O'Donnell, is O'Donnell? I say, how can anybody be so stupid? The answer is simple. She's not a believer. What do you expect? And if you weren't a believer, how would you think? Probably the same way. Well, how many believers like that? Yeah. But the whole point is, the whole point is, folks, we've been given a supernatural understanding of things. It's not your, it's not our great intellect that's landed us here. It's God who's opened our hearts and opened our minds. And Peter's saying, look, you know, don't blame me, guys. 
Because now, now, see, this is a major paradigm shift. I got to use that word, paradigm shift. I love that. There's a major paradigm shift for the Jerusalem church, because until this point, who was in the church? All Jews or Samaritans, they, but they were still part Jew. You know, I mean, you could go along, but now all of a sudden, wait a minute. What about the, what's God doing with the Gentiles? This is, this is a major shock to them. They were not expecting this. Can I ask a question in regards to 17? It says, if they're the different God gave them the same gift he gave uh, us, will we be pleased in the Lord Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. You know, in the book of Acts, I've heard that a couple times, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I heard this, but I, I just want to ask you to take on it because it just jumped out on me. In, in, in the baptism of the, uh, um, the waters, Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a paradigm shift in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and I heard something along that line of you know, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the book of Acts, they only refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know how churches that have that, that weird doctrine of Jesus only? Mm -hmm. and, and that's where they pull that from. Jesus only. Yeah. You know, Apple, uh, what, uh, I think it's Apostolic Church. Apostolic? Yeah, but they just believe that Jesus is the Father, He's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, 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 okay, so okay. Well, they, they call them Jesus only churches. Or because they baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, the Lord Jesus. Why is that pattern in Acts, the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ? Everybody's baptized in that. And then Jesus, when he was when, when the disciples were baptized in or when Jesus was baptized in water, he refers to the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. And in Acts, I, and I just see that. Okay. Okay. Well, there's, let's let's sort this out a couple of let's let's yeah let's unscramble this a couple of ways here. One, when you see no, it's an important question. When you see Lord Jesus Christ, it's not like there's a new title or anything like that. Jesus, when we say the Lord Jesus Christ, that's just an ascription of deity. He is Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, you could say Jesus Christ. You could say the Lord. You could say the Lord Jesus Christ. They're synonymous terms. Right. All right. It's not like one is different than the other or one is more magical than the other. That's not what's in view here. The Jesus only group that you're talking about have fallen into a heresy, an ancient heresy, called, there's several different names for it, Sabellianism, Patropassionism, or the one I love is Modalistic Monarchianism. That's a, that's a fancy one. Modalistic Monarchianism. Um, there's sort of different flavors of the same notion that there's one God who in the Old Testament appeared as the Father, in the Gospels, he appears as the Son. In the New Testament, he appears as the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's just three names for the same being, the same entity. All right? So there is no such thing as Trinity in their mind. It's sort of like looking at you. You are a son. You're a father. You're a grandfather. You're the same person. It's just that there's three different roles or or connections that you have to those around you, all right? That's a heresy. That That's a denial of the Trinity, 
All right. And the way what path to passionism, where that comes from, is passion has to do with the cross. And it says the father died on the cross because if the father is the son. Right. One person. Then he died on the cross. Following that. If there's one being. Oh, father and son to follow one. Yeah. Then the father died on the cross as well as the son died. That's called patropassionism. All right. Um, but it, but it would, it, it's, it's modalism. And it basically says there's, it's the same God. He just appears in three different hats. You got the father hat, the son hat, the Holy Spirit hat. Um, so it's three gods. You said it's three gods. No, they say it's one God who wears three different hats. He'll appear as one or the other. The problem with that, you're stuck with that passage. What do you do with the baptism of Christ when you see all three members together? You know, yeah, that's a heresy. That's a heresy. Yeah. So how do you think he's going to be baptized? I've heard a teaching that they changed because of the resurrection. It's it's just the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're baptized, here's the problem. And she has a Myrtle has a good question. Myrtle, right? Yeah, I, I, I am. I'm sorry. I have a mental block with names. All right. Listen, I'm saying in the Book of Acts, all of these people are baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. Yeah, let's. let's I'm going to bring that. Yeah. There, there are people that make a big deal out of this. Their whole denomination. If you look at baptism the way we do communion, you've got 50 different denominations, depending on how you do it. Um, one say, if you're not baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, it's invalid baptism. You gotta get rebaptized. Or if you rebaptize the name of Jesus Christ, but you're not baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not good. You gotta get it all done all over again. And then you've got the landmark Baptists who say, if you're not baptized by one who is validly baptized, by one who is validly baptized, by one who is validly baptized, by blah, 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 by one who is baptized by John, that's not good. Alright? They work it back that way. Folks, that's, we're, we're, we're making a big deal out of absolutely nothing. When you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think it's saying? What do you think it's saying? Everything that Jesus represents, it's not, it's not the magical words that you use. You know, where God's got an angel recording baptism. Well, this guy, they missed the Lord Jesus Christ on. He's not good enough. He's going to have to get baptized again one of these days. That's, that's silliness. That's silliness. Yeah. It, 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 all it is is when you are baptized, you're making a public affirmation of identification with the, the gospel, the message of the gospel. I am a believer. I'm identifying with Jesus Christ who died for me. I'm agreeing with the message of the gospel. I'm affirming my relationship with God. And whether the preacher baptizes you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whether he does the name of the Holy Spirit, Son, and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord, that's that's not relevant. That's not the important component. Okay, well, I'm asking this question. Um, if I get baptized, do I got to be immersed? <laughs> Well, that's, a good, that's another good question. Yeah, because I want to know, because you're saying it's not important. As long as you signify that you are connected with Christ. My personal, my, personal, my personal understanding is, my personal understanding is that immersion is not an essential. So you just put it on water, you say you're baptized, then you're on your head clean. 
Yeah. Why Peter said then clean my own body, Lord. No, he has nothing to do with baptism. That has nothing to do with baptism. Yeah, that has nothing to do with baptism. That's that's a whole different thing. The significance, I believe, I'm just saying I believe the significance of baptism has to do with a public proclamation of identification with Christ. I believe the best expression is immersion. All right. So if I was the pastor of a church, I would immerse. I think that's the best expression. However, if someone comes into my church and says, I believed on Jesus Christ, I, be, I was saved on such and such a date. I believe the gospel. After that, my pastor sprinkled me in baptism as a public affirmation of my faith. I'm fine with that. I don't think the guy has to go get dunked under the water. That's the pattern. But is there anywhere in the New Testament that commands the pattern? That's that's where the rub comes. That's that's where that's where I that's where I. If, if the Bible said this is how you got to do it, the answer, you know, the argument's over. We're done. The pattern in the scripture was immersion, but but I want you to know this. In yeah, but if you look at church history, they had prescriptions for baptism where there was no water. There was any the apostolic writings, you know, if if, for example, you don't have a pond or a lake or a river or something to baptize someone, you can you can sprinkle them with water. And if you don't have enough water to sprinkle them, you can even they even make the provision. You can use sand. This is this is uh, this is um, I don't know where it is. I'd have to find where it is. But they they had prescriptions for that. See, what we've done is we've made this massive. Yeah, we've made this massive uh, um, um, thing, ritual out of baptism, which is important. I don't want to discount it. I don't want to say that that emergence is bad. I think it's good. It's it's the representation that that the pattern that appears in Scripture where they went down under the water. I think that's the best pattern, but it's not commanded. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at? Thou shalt immerse. If it was, the argument is done. It was not commanded. The pattern was immersion. Yeah. Question. I mean, even though the pattern in Acts was in the name of the Lord, Christ's commandment, his commandment was to go, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, the answer is they're both right. They're both right. The significance. We have made we have made magical rituals out of this stuff. I'm telling you how we've done it. The ritual is more important. The ritual becomes more significant than what you're doing. I said, and then I baptized someone in the name of the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I was told that I'm supposed to say the Lord Jesus Christ. But in my Catholic roots, everything was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It has nothing. Everything. So all I'm saying is that we have made. Look, folks, just stop and think. We've made rituals out of this stuff. All right. Look at communion. You know, you got to pass around a little cup of the of grape juice and a little piece of wafer bread. Well, I remember in our church one time, we passed around a loaf of bread and we broke a piece off. People freaked out. They thought this was horrid. How dare you do that? But yet, what did Christ do? He passed around a piece of bread and they broke it off. Now, what's a better, what is a better representation of God, of 
Christ's body being broken, mm -hmm. you eating a cracker or you breaking a piece of bread? I get the picture with the broken bread. Right. Sure. But see, what have we done? We have made we have made this massive, I want to call it a shibboleth. You know what that is? Shibboleth. That's a fancy word, remember? Shibboleth. Is that a word? It is. It's in, it's in, you go back and you read your Old Testament. I know. S-H-I-B-B-O-L-E-T-H, something like that. Shibboleth. All right. You go, you go look at, but, but yeah, we, we've made this, this thing that, how are you baptized? Well, you know, I was baptized in water in the name of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, if you're going to join our church, we got to rebaptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, or say, you know, I was baptized in a baptistry in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is fine. But we got to get running water because the baptistry ain't going to work. So we got to go down to the lake in the middle of winter, cut a hole, and dunk you in freezing water to get this valid. Because if not, God does not accept your baptism. We've made all of these, we've made these massive they out of nothing. We lose the significance of it. Is what? What is the name? That's, that's what they were taught. Yeah. Taught the, and, and all you baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What is the name of the Father? What is the name of the Son? And what is the name of the Holy Spirit? That's why they say that Jesus' name is the name. That's not that's not what it means. In Scripture, when you're baptized in the name of Christ, it does not mean I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Name name in how do I don't put it? Name in the New Testament is not a, uh, a it's not a noun. It's not the label I give you. It's what you are. Understand the difference? And names were given to show your character. Yes. Not just the name like we name marriage over now. In, in the United States, your name is the is a is a it's the label that you're given. Right. My name is Alan Schaefer. That's the label on my birth certificate. All right. That's what I'm known as or who I'm known as. But in the New Testament, people are given names of significance. Right. You know, you see like running bear, flying owl or whatever, you know, like the Indians who use these weird names and you say well that's a weird name you know what well, was to give this the character of the person when in the Bible when it talks about when Jesus says pray in my name he's not saying tack Jesus Christ on the end of your prayer like you put a stamp on a letter to get it posted he's saying when you pray it needs to be in accordance with all that I am it needs to be in accordance with my character you don't have to say in Jesus name because you know sometimes people pray and they forget that and people you know, it didn't work. You know, that prayer didn't get to God. And that's not what it's about. It's you pray in accordance with all that he is. And and when you when you when you baptize in the name of God or Christ or the Father or the whole it's in all that he is. Now what is that if at the name of Jesus every every uh Nisha Bible The name he has given is Lord. Mm -hmm. Right, that's what I'm trying to say though. That's the authority is in the name. It's no. not in Jesus' name, it's not the authority. You're saying. You're saying that the authority and all when it talks about is not in the name of it, Jesus. You said that is it's not, not in the, the appellation. It's not in the the label. All right. 
Yeah, it's not that Jesus' name, the name of Jesus Christ is not a precious name. It is a precious name. It's the name of my Lord. It's the name of our Lord. But it's not a magical phrase. Okay? I mean, what you have sometimes in some groups is say, well, I command you in the name of Jesus. And we make it like that's a magic phrase. That somehow that's going to do something. His name is not a magical phrase. The power in Jesus' name is not in the, it's not in the words it's in the person. Right. And the person is the word that's attached to the person. That's describing that person, but the power is not in the name. It's in the person who has the name. So if I go down to your bank account and... Um, if that makes any sense, what I'm trying to get at. I get your body out of your bank account and I sign my name on your bank account, then they ain't going to do nothing with your bank account. No. But if I go down there and I sign your name, I'm saying it. I have authority to do it. Mm-hmm. Sign your name, they're gonna give me all your money. Mm-hmm. So there was no power in my name. I think I think we're saying we're saying the same thing. We're saying the same thing, but we're coming. We're saying the same thing. Yeah, we are. Are we saying the same thing? All right. What I'm trying to say is is. The, 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 the name Jesus Christ as a label is not where the power lies. It is the person who has that. If we were using the name then of Jesus, we would have to use Yeshua. Yeshua because yeah. that was his that was, name. That was his so Hebrew Jesus name. Or Joshua. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's not the actual word Jesus. It is it is the person behind it. Now, when I say in the name of Jesus, I should be what I should be consciously thinking of is all that he is, who he is, what he is like. You know, if I say um, I would like a brand new 2006 Hummer and I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. All right. There are people that say, well, I should get that because I've used his name. Right. If you ask anything in. My name, I'll give it to you. I use the name. Mm-hmm. I, where's my Hummer? Where's that? Well, the understanding is in, in Hebrew and in the, in the Hebrew Jewish mindset. Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're saying something in the name of someone, it's not using their name. It's their character, who they are in accordance with their person. All right. That's what it means. Myrtle thinks I'm a heretic here. She thinks I. <laughs> you know, you understand what I'm trying to get at. No, I. I, I yeah, that's right. You're right. But in current events, there's, there's there's that big issue about if it's an empty prayer, if 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 you refuse to say in Jesus' name or refuse to include Jesus in your prayers, so as to not offend anybody. Well, who do you pray to? The Father. And when I say when I pray to the Father in Jesus' name, does that mean I pray to God and I attack in Jesus' name at the end? It means that whatever I am asking, I am asking in accordance with the person and character of Christ. What would he want? Yeah. Now how do I have access to the Father? 
through Jesus Christ. It's not that I say, I ring the doorbell of heaven and say, I'm coming in Jesus' name, let me in. Because the pagan can do that, right? But they're not going to get in. Why? Because they're not connected to God. All right? They were beating this horse to death. And the more we beat it, the more confused it gets. All right? Yeah. But the whole point here is that is that what you see, verse 18, I love verse 18. I When they heard, you get off on these rabbit trails. No, that's fine. This is this is why the class is important. This is why we do this. You all can read the text of these other discussions we get into there. Make it interesting. Keep you from falling asleep. So it's interesting. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they all shut up. Basically. Hey. If God did this, who are we to stand in his way? Now, they, it took a while for them to really grasp this concept, right? But eventually they did. In the church, there is Gentiles. Perish the thought, but they're Gentiles. And they have the same Holy Spirit we have, and they're of the same body, and there's no difference, and you might as well get used to it, because <laughs> that's the way God has ordained it. And who, I like it because they always start from the beginning, and this is how it happened. Peter, well, Cornelius first, and then Peter, and then the... And, and what he broke it down to the group yeah. that was breaking And that sort of goes Paul. back to why did Cornelius go through all the trouble to tell Paul the whole Peter. story? Uh -huh. I mean Peter, uh -huh. the whole story of what well Peter needed to know that. Sure he did, because Peter has his piece, but how does that mesh up with Cornelius' mm -hmm. piece? And now that they're both now when Peter explains it to the to the yeah, the the deacon board here. Um, that he was called in to account to, what are they going to do? They can't do anything because it's of God. It's of God. Now, if we had that, it would be so simple today. Yeah. If we could depend on Then the next part here, we have um, Barnabas and Saul. I'm not going to read through it here, but basically it talks about Barnabas and Saul working together at Antioch. Um, it said he actually Barnabas went down and got Paul and brought him to Antioch and really discipled him. I mean, Barnabas was the one who, who, who really took Paul under his wing and discipled him. Why and if, name. that's his Hebrew name, oh. it's not yet Paul, his Greek name. And then we have here, this is interesting. Um, in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus, now he pops up again later, stood up and showed by the Holy Spirit there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which was also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Jerusalem. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So you have... Judea going into this famine, so what did the church and the other parts of the 
nation do, or Roman Empire? They took a took a offering and sent it by Paul or by Saul and Barnabas. So later on, it's interesting. Saul and does the same thing in his fourth missionary journey. Remember, only that time, where does he collect the money? He collects it from the Gentiles. All right. But what you see here is you start seeing this church working together and 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 you know relief and 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 what is God doing here? God is trying to melt them together. All right, where there there's no pecking order. There's no you know this group and this group and this group, but they're all one. There's a unity to the church, and we've fractured it in our day, haven't we? In all the different pieces. Well, we're up to chapter 12. Are we on schedule yet? No. How far are we behind? We're supposed to be doing 12. 12 today. All right. Well, you know, we're only a chapter behind, so we're doing. We'll catch up. Don't worry. Do we have a test? I'll, I'll have it for you when I get back. Oh, we don't have No, not tonight. Yeah. You get two week respite, and then I'll bring it. Next time, nobody yeah. answer any questions because we got five challenges. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, we're gonna. The test will only be over what we've covered. The test is only over what we've covered. So. This is the most important part, you know. So. All right. Well, let's close in prayer so we can all get home. Father, thank you so much for this day and for teaching us. And pray that you would. Help us to think and understand what we've talked about, and we just thank you for this time we've had together. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.